0: throat has been kind of hurting this morning, so you're going to have to bear with me if I'm a little, not that being louder is good or bad, but I'm probably going to be a little bit quieter this morning, so bear with me. Um, so if you were here last week, you know that we concluded our What We Believe series, that we spent 13 weeks kind of walking through some things that we'd say, yeah, these are specific things that we believe as um, this church. There are specific things that may be distinctive to our church compared to another church. Um, but we walked through that. I hope that you found that beneficial. Uh, there's, If you actually go to our website, we have very short um, excerpts of little um, pieces of that about what we believe, not maybe as fleshed out as was in some of the sermons, but we, we do have that. Um, but we are, we're going to transition to a new series this morning. Um, we're going to spend... Um, the next couple of weeks and probably next couple of months looking at the letters of John, um, not John's gospel, but John's um, letters. First John, second John, third, John. And it's probably not going to take two, almost two years like Matthew did. Um, we, although we have not set a certain end date, I don't anticipate it going for 18, 20 months, however long that took us. But we also do want to go slow enough that we get the fullness of the truth that is here. Uh, something that I've been able to do over the last couple of weeks, kind of thinking ahead toward um, towards this um, sermon series, is I've just read through 1 John um, multiple times, and it's been really, really good. Um, hopefully that would be true of every single book that we would read through, but I've just like come to really appreciate and love the specifically 1 John um, more and more over the last couple weeks, and I'm going to encourage you to do that over the next weeks and months, that, that you would read through 1 John. Um, just continually be reading through. Not every day, um, but it's also only five chapters. It's three pages in my Bible. So it's definitely a doable thing, but it's going to be allow you to see kind of the full picture of what we're going through. Um, we're going to go through it very slow. The, the, this week, This week, we're going through four verses. But seeing the whole picture, I think, will really give us an appreciation of it as we go. This morning, I want to give what is, for me, probably the longest introduction I've ever um, given? Because what I want to do is introduce not just this morning, but I want to introduce the whole series and kind of set the stage for where we're going, for what is the purpose. Like, so we'll see, Like, what is the purpose of 1 John? Why did um, John write this um, letter specifically? And so I want to do is try, get in, I want to, try to give like a movie trailer-ish kind of thing, that I give you enough that you're like, ah, oh, I want more, but not so much that you think, oh, I've got it all. Because you've seen movie trailers like that, right? Some that, the it's just, they don't give you anything. And you're like, I don't want to see the movie because I don't even know what it's supposed to be about. But then there's also movie trailers that show you way too much and you feel like you've already seen the movie. So you're not going to go pay to see the movie because you saw it in the trailer. I'm going to try to find that middle ground, but we'll see. One of the reasons I love um, reading the writings of John is that he is very clear about why he's writing. He says... Hey, I'm writing these things for this reason. Most of the books in the Bible, we don't, we don't see that specific thing. Um, hopefully, you've already caught on that you're turning to First John right now. But the first thing that I want to read, um, I have it in the wrong order, apparently. But the very first thing that I want to read is from John 20, um, the, the Gospel of John. I'm gonna read because he gives us his his reason for writing John. I want to kind of show you this and then kind of set a little bit of difference before we get to 1 John. For this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He, sp- he gives, the Apostle John gives a specific reason. He says, I'm writing these things so that you might believe in Jesus. I'm writing these things so that you might believe in Jesus. It's, it's a book written, it's an evangelistic book, written so that others might believe in Jesus. But the, the, the reason that he says he's writing 1 John is a little bit different than this. He, he gives four reasons, actually, why he's writing this book. I think they, they mesh together very well. But four times in 1 John, John is going to tell us why he's writing. I'm going to run through these four really quickly. Again, still talking the whole series, whole book of 1 John here. I'm going to go through them in reverse order, actually. So, the first time... or. Er, The last time he says that, the first time I'm going to talk about it this morning, is in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a difference then than what he said in John. In John he said, I write these things so you might believe in Jesus. Here he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to people who already believe in Jesus. He's writing to people who say they already would believe, but that these people would know that they have eternal life. He's writing to them to assure them of their salvation. People who are saved, he says, I'm writing these things to you to assure you of this, that you may know you may have confidence. And we're going to see in other places in this book the re- why he would be saying this. A lot of the false things that these people had been, were being told. Next time he says this. Second, or It's in the chapter 2, verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So he's writing to correct some some false things that are going on, to to correct some false teaching. And this is something that's going to kind of run through the entirety of 1 John. But the importance of understanding correct belief, that 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 understanding belief would lead to the obedience of the followers of Jesus, they would obey Jesus, but that would, and that's expressed most in the way that they love, in the way that followers of Jesus love one another, the way they love people outside the church. We're going to see this a couple different times. Now chapter 2, verse 1. John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing to these Christians in a a way he said, I'm writing these things so that you won't sin. He's going to be encouraging them to pursue holiness. Peter would say, be holy as God is holy. John is writing writing to them so they may not sin. And then chapter 1, verse 4. John says, and we are writing these things So that our joy may be complete. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There are those four reasons John gives for writing this letter. He's writing to assure believers of their salvation, he's writing to to make sure that everyone's believing the sound doctrine, correct doctrine. He's encouraging them to pursue holiness. And he's writing to them so that their joy may be complete. And this is kind of looking at the whole book of 1 John, and even in 2 John, or a little bit in 3 John. These things are really things that we want us as CRC, us as this local church, to, to understand. Like we've been, we've been talking that we want the believers of CRC to be assured that they are saved, not because of what they've done, but be assured of their salvation because of Jesus. But we also want this assurance to lead us into holy living. this assurance of salvation would not be for assurance sake, but would be to lead us to live our lives as God would have us live our lives. And that this be displayed in the way that we love. And that this be displayed in the way that we love. And John's going to get into that and, and how that love is displayed. There's your next couple months as we go through 1 John. So... Dale, can you reset me to be 40 minutes? I'm just kidding. You don't have to do it. But reset me to be 40 minutes, because now we're actually getting into the sermon. Um, did you start at 40? Huh. All right, 10-minute sermon introduction. All right, cool. Um, so I'm going to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is really John's introduction to this letter, and I think it's going to be huge for us to see where he's starting his letter. His letter to these specific believers, to this church or these group of churches or whoever he's writing to. I'm going to read verses one through four. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it. Doesn't the openings... It reminds me of John, John 1. Because he opens John 1 saying, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and um, I'm not trying to quote it. I'm, I don't know if that's right accurate. But he says, in the beginning was the Word. I know that part's right. Um, but it's a little confusing. It can be confusing until you understand what the Word, what is the Word he's talking about. And I think this is very similar. Because he doesn't say exactly the name of what he's talking about. He says, that which was from the beginning. He says, the life. He says, that which we have seen and heard. And it can be a little confusing until we see that he's talking about Jesus. Because if you read that, understanding he's talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus was from the beginning. John's saying, this is who I've seen, I've heard, I've touched Jesus was made manifest to us. This eternal life that was with the Father was made manifest in Jesus. So it, it, we've got to understand that he's talking about Jesus here. That's, that's, that's who he's talking about. That Jesus was from the beginning. John's experienced him, John's been around him, he's seen him, he's touched him, he's heard him speak. but I, I want to make this clear. Like, I want us to see this as we jump into 1 John here. He's going to talk about a lot of different things. So he gives us those four, one hand I guess, four reasons for writing. But that centers, he starts right off the bat, with centers on Jesus. He says, we've got to get this right first. We've got to know Jesus was from the beginning. John's saying, look, I've seen him, I've heard him. He's starting right off the bat with Jesus. Because we look at those four things. You want assurance of salvation? Jesus. You want to understand correct doctrine or correct belief? He's going to say, look at the commands of Jesus. You want to live a life that God would desire? Look at Jesus. You want to have joy that is complete? Look at Jesus. Because Jesus is really at the center of all that we believe. Like, the, the, what we believe about Jesus really defines us as the church. We are Jesus' church that he is building. That's where John starts, but that's also where we have to be centered. And it's also not just centered on Jesus, but on proper beliefs on who Jesus is. Because a lot of the world would agree that there's a lot of good things about Jesus. You've probably heard a lot of people say that a lot of people believe in the, they, they, they believe the morality of Jesus. He was a really good moral teacher. That he had a lot of good things to say. The, the things that he talked about with loving other people. How he said, yeah, we should love one another. How he hung out with People that were a lot different than him. That he, his, he loved the outcast. He loved the rejected. He would say, yeah, yeah, that's good. That we, we, we should be doing that. A lot of them would commend his servanthood, the way that he washed the disciples' feet. they say, yeah, servant leadership. Yeah, we should be doing that. A lot of people love his teachings on morality, on fairness, on any number of things. But if you add in the fact about Jesus and say, but only in him can you be saved, but only through his death, only through his resurrection, can you be saved from hell, people throw up the guards. Nope, no, 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 don't, don't, don't add that part. Let's stick with the morality. Let's stick with what he said about fairness. Let's stick with what he said about loving other people. They want the morality of Jesus. They want the good teachings of Jesus. But to reject what he taught about who he was. But who did Jesus claim to be? John is saying, like, this is who Jesus claimed to be. He was God. He was from the beginning. He claimed to be the way, the truth, the life. Like, we don't reject certain things about Jesus. If we are centered on Jesus, we're centered on all of Jesus. On, 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 the, on his teachings about loving, on his teachings about um, the Good Samaritan, on his teachings about loving the outcast, but also on his teachings on him being the only way to salvation. This has to be at the center of all that we believe. Look at verse 3 in First John. Verse 3, verse John chapter 1. It says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus knows or sorry, John knows that his fellowship is with God, that his fellowship is with Jesus. I feel like fellowship is not a word that we use all that often anymore. I mean, growing up, I was, we had the fellowship hall in, in our church. It was where we went to eat together, where we um, were with the church. It was the fellowship hall. But it's not really a word that I use very often. It's not a word that I hear used very often. But what he's saying is that John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you might have fellowship with me and with God. I haven't really talked about much about fellowship yet, but do you, do you feel like that defines, that describes your relationship with God? That you have fellowship with Him? Like when I think of fellowship, what does fellowship mean? I think of community. I think of lots of talking. I think of lots of time being spent together. I think of mutual love between two parties. Does that, would you say that 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 describes my relationship with Jesus? So that you have fellowship with him. So I think what John's talking about is he's saying that through Jesus, he's going to get into this more. But through Jesus, this is what we have. That through Jesus, we have fellowship with God. It says when when Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, when he reconciled us to God, he brought us into relationship with God. Now we can have relationship because of Jesus. Jesus. Again, this fellowship is only possible because of Jesus. Again, that's why John's starting with Jesus. He's saying, look at Jesus. This is how you can have fellowship with God. But what else does he say about Jesus here? Verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. I mentioned it earlier, but right off the bat, John saying, Jesus is God. In terms of, and Bella would say, Jesus is God, and God is Jesus. She's got some, some of her theology right. But, so right off the bat, it's saying, Jesus was from the beginning, Jesus was God. But that John says, and we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. The same Jesus that was from the beginning, that was God, became man. Lived among men. Like think about what John is saying there. I've physically seen him. I physically have touched him. I know him. John's claiming a relationship with him and then inviting others into fellowship with him, but also with God. I want you to see that John here is given his own personal testimony to who Jesus is. Personal testimony to who Jesus is. Again, I have seen him. I have touched him. I have heard him. I know him. Verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's saying, again, I know, he's saying, this is John. He's saying, I know Jesus. And this is what I, and I'm testifying to you. I'm proclaiming this to you. If you, talking to Christians here, if, if you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, then this should be all of us testifying and proclaiming what our experience is with Jesus. Listen, what what is a personal testimony to what Jesus has done? It's a personal testimony. Nobody can argue with this. It's a personal testimony. That's what John is doing. He's saying, I proclaim this to you. I know I'm repeating myself, but what, that I've, which I've seen, that which I've heard, that which I've touched, Jesus, I'm proclaiming this to you, I'm testifying to this. Listen, the importance of our personal testimony to what Christ has done in our lives is so, so important. So, so important. I want you to think for a minute because the personal, our personal testimony, people can't argue with that because it's something that we felt, it's something that we experienced. Think of think of the CSI scene or a Law and Order. I don't really watch them, but I, this is how I imagine them to go. Um, when police arrive to a crime scene and to investigate, what's one of the first things they're going to do? They're going to collect personal statements. They're going to ask questions. They're going to ask people, what did you see? What did you touch? What did you feel? What did you experience? In giving a personal statement, if I'm giving a personal statement to what I experienced, I can't say, this is what Dale was feeling during this experience. This is what Dale experienced. I can't do that when giving a personal statement. It's, this is what I experienced. This is what I felt during this. This is what I saw. But again, that's the importance of, okay, so fast forward a couple days or weeks or months or years, depending on our judicial system. But fast forward to the court, the court scene. Someone who's given a personal is testifying. They're testifying to what they experienced. Their value in their giving to testifying in court, the value to that is that they personally witnessed it. It's theirs. And this is what John is doing. He's given his personal testimony, the importance of what he has experienced. As Christians, we all have this. As Christians, we all have a testimony to what Christ has done in our lives. And if you say, wait, wait, what, what do you mean? We all should have this memorized. And I hope you guys never think that I'm just beating Ephesians 2 too hard. But Ephesians 2 is so good. I've got Ephesians 2 up here. but There's a lot of this that we should know. We'll see. A lot of this we should know, but I just want to read this because if you have questions like, wait, what do you mean that I can personally testify to what Christ has done in my life? This right here is true. If, if, you're, if you believe in Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, these verses are so, so true. All of them. They're going to be up on the screen, but if you know them, let, let, let's, just, let's just go through them. Feel free to read them out loud with me. You don't have to. This is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness with us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2 1 through 9. You want to know what Christ has done? What the wonder of what Christ has done in your life. What is your testimony to what Christ has done? You were dead. Christ made you alive. You were dead and Christ made you alive. The details of all that, our stories are going to be a lot different. Our deadness may look different from one another, but we are dead. But Jesus did not leave us dead. Jesus did not leave us dead. He ro- when, he, when he rose again on the third day, defeating death, defeating sin forevermore, we have life because of this, because of what Christ has done. That is something that we, if you trust in Christ, this is something you've experienced. He's given you life. Let me give another example. I've used this before in John 9. Um, If you want to flip there, you can. Um, I'm going to talk for a second to give you some time to get there. But In John 9, we see that Jesus heals a blind man. He Spits in some mud. He, he spits in some dirt, makes some mud, wipes it on the guy's eyes. I'm not usually a fan of saliva-filled mud, but I think if it's from Jesus, it's good. But he, this guy all said, "This guy is given his sight. This guy's given sight. And we see that he does it on the Sabbath. The Pharisees start throwing a fit. They call this guy in for questioning. They call his parents in for questioning. They're asking, is this this guy that healed you? Is he the Christ? John 9 says that, and it's in parentheses, he says, they've already decided that anybody says this, they're going to throw him out of the synagogue. So the parents, they kind of skirt the question. They say, oh, he's of age. Go ask him. Go ask him these hard questions. So they call this guy in to ask him questions. I'm going to pick up in verse 24. John 9, starting in verse 24. He says, For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. We're talking about Jesus. We know that this man is a sinner. The guy who was healed. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. The, these Pharisees are asking him all these questions about the person of Jesus. He's like, is, is Jesus a sinner? There's whole theologies now that are built on whether or not Jesus sinned. We would hold to the fact that Jesus did not sin, perfect son of God. But they're asking him these, these questions about the person of Jesus. And what does he say? He's like, I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. He knows what happened to him. He knows what Jesus did in his life. You don't have to know theology to proclaim the glory of Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to know theology to talk about how good Jesus is and what he's done for you theology is good, don't get me wrong. The study of theology, the study of God is is good, and we should should actively be pursuing that. But don't feel like you don't know enough theology to talk about Jesus, or talk about how good he is to you. We all have that personal testimony of what Christ has done. You may not have been physically blind but you were spiritually blind, unable to even see your own sin until God saves you out of it. Like, we may not be physically blind, but we are spiritually blind. We may not have been a murderer or a rapist or an adulterer or a thief or any of these things. But the Bible says we were dead, hopelessly dead, without hope. but Jesus gave life. But Jesus gave us life when we had none. You have a testimony. We all have a testimony. That's something we should be proclaiming often. I, I, I was in a seminary class one time, and they talked about just the, just the importance of being able to share your testimony be able to say, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did. And this is who I am now. For some people, you're going to see drastic this and drastic that. For some people, you might not see drastic physical difference here, drastic physical difference here. But regardless, you have a dead person here, person without hope, Christ saving, Christ giving life. And then you have new life. That's the testimony. We all have that. If you are saved, if you're trusting in Christ for salvation, you have a testimony. The cool thing about a testimony is that it doesn't center on us. It is our personal testimony, but a testimony is not about us. A testimony is what Jesus has done. A testimony is what Jesus has done in our life. But the fact that you have a testimony, this testimony to what Christ has done, is that evident in your life? Is that evident in the conversations you have? Is that evident in the way that you interact with people? Is it evident in the way that you worship? Is it evident in the way that you seek to tell other people who Jesus is? Is it evident in the joy that is in your life? You know, joy is a funny thing. Um, Telling someone who is suffering with depression or anxiety or the, the loss of a loved one, anything, say, just have joy. Just have joy. It's like telling someone in prison to say, just come out. Just, just leave. Just choose to have joy. Because joy is not something we fabricate. Joy is not something we just, we just make. But look at Back to verse, chapter 1, verse 4 in First John. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That our word is, is kind of confusing. If you have a, a paper Bible, you might have a footnote that says, well, it, some manuscripts say your. My Bible says may, for our, our joy may be complete. Some say your joy may be complete. What we see is that when John says, our joy may be complete, he's including your. Let me explain this, hold on. So if I say, I brought bread today. I didn't, so I'm not claiming to bring bread. But if I brought bread today to complete our lunch, our lunch means it's also my lunch, but it's your lunch too. So John's saying, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy. He's talking about his readers, but he's also talking about his. But how is he writing so that our joy may be complete? Remember what he's already said. He said, I've seen Jesus. I've touched Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm proclaiming these things to you. He's reminding them of who Jesus is. That Jesus was God, eternal, but became man. He came to give life. And that the joy only comes from Jesus. Joy comes from Jesus. We're going to get to this more in depth in a, couple, in a couple weeks, probably. But if you have your Bible, turn to John 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Because here, Jesus in John 15, Jesus is teaching that he's the vine. And that his disciples, his followers, are the branches. He says that if he is the vine and they are the branches, that the, the branches don't survive without the vine. The branches must abide in the vine. And he's saying, that so followers of Jesus must too abide in him. John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Where does joy come from? From knowing Jesus. For who we are because of Jesus. It comes through being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So, John, having written those words of Jesus in John 15. Now look at First John chapter 4 again. Can you imagine him... Thinking of this, when these words of Jesus, as he's writing this, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In an intro to a letter, when he's just been talking about Jesus, he's like, "I'm writing these things to you so that your joy, so that our joy may be complete." He says, "This Jesus, this eternal Son of God, was here. He became man." I touched him. I experienced him. I saw him. He is the source of joy. John is proclaiming this truth so that his readers might be reminded of Jesus and be filled with joy. Where are you looking for joy? Are you seeking joy... In worldly things? When things are hard, when joy seems distant, where are you looking for joy? Because joy comes from Jesus. I'm not saying it works like that. They say, if you're not feeling very joyful and you say, all right, I I need joy. I'm going to go read a verse of the Bible and then you're just going to be overflowing in joy. I'm not at all saying that. But joy comes from Jesus. If you are saved, just remember what Christ has done. I won't go through and read Ephesians 2 again. But, but, we have joy knowing that Christ has done it. That Christ has given life. That it is finished. That Christ has done all that is necessary. And just as he says in John 15, now he just says, abide in me. If you're looking for joy, look at Jesus. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't Say my trust is in Jesus. Where are you looking for your joy? Are you looking to the world? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our world is not full of much joy. It's a broken, full of pain, full of difficulty, full of a lot of bad things. I feel like I just can't escape this this week. But if you're looking for joy, don't look out there. Don't look out there for joy. Because we're going to be searching and searching and searching for satisfaction that's never going to come. You're going to be searching for joy. You might find a couple temporary fixes that might be okay for a couple days, a couple months, maybe even a year but we can never have true joy without Jesus. Listen, the testimony that we have, the testimony that we have within us is what Jesus has done, who Jesus is. I think I have Psalm 16 up there again. We read this to start out with. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore do you know who's also sitting at the right hand of god jesus in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's Jesus. This psalm, the joy that he's talking about is Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. Like we can celebrate this. We can celebrate the joy is only found in Jesus, not in the world, but in Jesus. And as the church, we should be celebrating this. Celebrating the fact that we can personally testify to what Christ has done. We can personally proclaim this. We've experienced Him, we know His goodness, we know who Jesus is. And we as the church get to celebrate that. It's a beautiful thing that we get to even do together on a weekly basis. We get to proclaim that Christ has done it, that it is finished. That Jesus has paid it all. I just want us to look at Jesus for our joy. Look at Jesus for everything. Because he has done it. Let's pray.